Luke chapter 10, and we're going to do verses 1 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. Some of us are more excited about children's church than others. It's, uh, uh, I have six kids, so I know it takes all types. <clears throat> we have various dispositions towards all kinds of events. Then. I do love pastoring a church where there's lots of little kids, though, huh? It's pretty sweet. Kids are great. I make a lot of jokes about kids, but I love them, and um, I love that they're here in church, that they're hearing the truth, that they're in families that love them um, and that want them to follow Jesus. Um, We have much to be thankful for here. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. I will read it and then I will pray. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rust upon him, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven." In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we have, we have a lot to consider here in these verses. Uh, this is 24 uh, jam-packed verses, so we pray that you would help us as we work our way through these, that you would help us to be alert, to be thinking along. Um, I pray that you would give us the, the stamina for that, and I pray that you would, um, even more than that, that you would do a good work in our heart as we think together about what Your Word has for us. I I pray that You would do a good work this morning through Your Word, by Your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright. So the mission of the church is clear. It really, the mission of the church couldn't really be any clearer. Uh, Matthew 28 sums it up very nicely, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we know that this is just like the perpetual um, mission of the church. It's, it's to the end of the age. It's, it's, and, and we know this is still going because Jesus hasn't come back and wrapped up this age yet. And so we know this is what we're to be doing. Making disciples. This is the, this is the worldwide perpetual mission of the church. Helping people to see their need for Jesus. Helping people to trust Jesus. Helping people to follow and obey Jesus. The mission of the church is clear. It's not, it's not difficult for us to know what we should do, but, but the idea of it, though, it can be very overwhelming. The idea of worldwide disciple-making can be very daunting, very overwhelming. Jesus even sort of speaks to that, doesn't he? In verse 2, he says, he said, he said to them, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The job feels disproportionate. It feels like it's too much. It seems like there's not enough people to go around. There's not enough disciple makers for all of the work that has to be done. It, it, we just we can feel overwhelmed when I when I think about the fact that there's over a thousand different languages that still don't have any scripture whatsoever in their language. There's a thousand people groups that have no no scripture in their language. It can be overwhelming. When I think of there's 85 percent of the world's pastors have no formal Bible training. The idea of coming alongside them and and helping them. And, 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 and facilitating them. Strengthening them. It feels like that's just way too big. But we also feel it not when we're thinking about the worldwide scale. The worldwide scale, that's a lot. But then when we are even in our own, like, individual lives, just with the people that God has brought into our lives, trying to think of how, how to talk to someone, maybe in our own house, 
about following Jesus. Maybe it's someone who, who has said that they follow Jesus, but they, there's just no fruit of that whatsoever in their life. They've said they've trusted Jesus, but it just doesn't seem like they, they, they care about the Jesus of the Bible. It can feel overwhelming just, just figuring out how to talk to them. Or maybe it's this, maybe it's trying to work up the courage to, to wisely and clearly tell our coworker or our neighbor about the gospel. The, the work of disciple making worldwide and then just, just in our own sphere of influence, it can feel overwhelming. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, this passage right here has a ton of help for us. When we, when we first read it, it seems like it belongs in a different age, like with different people. It's just like, this is, this is not really, um, it's really hard to apply this stuff to us. But then when you dig into it, you see that there are principles here that are good for disciple makers of any age, of any country, uh, of, a, of any century. These are, these are, there are principles here that are good for all of us. And so if we'll take a good look at these verses, we'll take them to heart, it'll help us. I want to remind you this morning that you are called to make disciples. You are. You are, Spurgeon says every, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are, this is just, this is the work of the church. The corporate church, but then also the, the individuals that make up the church. So how do we do that? What does it mean to make disciples? This is another great passage that will help to unpack that for us. There's, there's six answers to the question, what does it mean we're called to make disciples? Six answers to that question. You say, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it does. Six answers to the question, what does it mean that we're called to make disciples? Let's go through these answers and we'll see just really good principles for us to live by right now. Number one, number one, it means that we are called to faithfulness. We're called to faithfulness. Verse, verse 2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Then he says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay, this is the worst pregame speech ever. Have you, have you thought about that? I mean, you can tell Jesus never coached high school sports. Can you imagine getting the guys together before the big game? And he says, guys, it's ready to play some ball. We gotta, we gotta do this now. You know that other team, they're like, you know, they're like wolves. But us, we are like lambs. So, <laughs> so let's get out there and just let's see how this, you know, see what happens. It's awful. The guys were just like, you know what, actually, I, I think I pulled a hammy sitting here. I'm not going out there. I'm not, I'm not going to be, if, we're, if it's Team Wolf versus Team Lamb, I'm just not going to, I'll just stay in the locker room. This is a bad pregame speech. But it's nice because it does capture how we feel sometimes. I mean, I, you, we just can't get anything done. I can't go out there. I mean, the, the, the idea of going out there and just making disciples, that is just such an overwhelming idea. And the beautiful thing is, when I'm thinking, I'm way out of my league, I can't get anyone to believe the Gospel, I can't get anyone to follow Jesus, the beautiful thing is, 
the, 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 the great reminder here, I don't have to. I don't have to. It's not, that's not my responsibility. See, see what happens in this passage, the Bible is full of, of just really good earthly wisdom. Like, here's just how you live in real life. But then it's also filled with this like, um, just wonderful heavenly insight that we can believe, but it's really hard to get our mind around. So it's just, it's just filled with both. Look down at verses 21 through 24 again. And, and we'll see what we mean by it's not our responsibility to get someone to believe the Gospel. Verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So here we have like the, 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 the heavenly insight. We have, we have heaven breaks open for just a second and we see how things are operating in, in a realm that we don't even know anything about. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The, the these things here is, is salvation through Christ alone. It's the, it's the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's how people are, are how, how people be, become at peace with God. How they become reconciled to God. The, the, these things that God has, has kept hidden. He's kept them hidden from the wolves from the strong and the mighty and the powerful, the movers and shakers, the, the intimidating people, the, the, the bigwigs. It says, you have hidden these things from, from those guys and you've revealed them to little children, to these little disciples here, to the, to the lambs that are out, just kind of out there doing their best. You revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. Verse 21 says, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So here we have this mysterious, beautiful work that the Son and the Father are doing in the world. And it's beyond us. We can't get our minds around it. But we know in the end... I don't have to make someone believe anything. I don't have to get anyone to believe the Gospel. I can't get anyone to follow Jesus because we all know we can't do that. This is what's happening here. This is what's happening here. These, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, these things. He turns to His disciples and He says privately in verse 23, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Blessed are the eyes that the, 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 the Gospel has been revealed to them. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You get to know Jesus. You get to know salvation through Christ alone. So we have this very interesting tension here, don't we? Where Jesus is commanding us to pray earnestly for laborers to be sent into the harvest and, and to go urgently. We're going to see that in a few minutes as well. But then we also understand that, that we're simply called to faithfulness. The best illustration I can think of, and you guys know, Illustrations really aren't my forte, so you're just gonna have to you're gonna have to do some work with this one as well to to to, to apply it. But um, 
when I was in high school, I, I had a, a, a paper route. I delivered the Lansing State Journal. Um, I'm sure you've all heard of that one. And, and so that was my, that was my job in, 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 I think, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, something like that. Um, and wintertime, summertime, uh, it was, I, I was a, I was a faithful newspaper deliverer. Um, I got that paper, uh, right to that, pe- those people's doors, and we, and we had a, um, we had an assisted living home as part of my nursing, or my, 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 um, paper route. So, like, at this nursing home, we would deliver newspapers to, and it was great, um, because it was all indoors. Wintertime, it was great, uh, because it was just a lot warmer, um, than other paper routes. Um, but they all, and the, the, the people in the nursing home, they really liked their, their newspaper in a certain way. Some people had baskets near their door they wanted it in, and some people didn't want it folded up. Some people did. Some people, and so, uh, and so I would just, I would faithfully get them their newspaper. And, and there was only one time, because we had some houses on the route too as well, there was only one time that the newspaper, um, I, and accidentally landed up on the carport, and I'm still not positive how that happened. But I did get them the paper, it was just, you know, out of reach. Anyhow, but my job was not to get them to believe the news. In fact, if you would have read the Lansing State Journal, you probably wouldn't have wanted them to anyhow, maybe. But my job was not to convince them to to believe the news. My job was to get the, the, the newspaper to their house. What we have to understand in the great mystery of the way God works, and the great mystery of the way God has called us to be faithful, our job is to get the Gospel into people's ears and then pray that God gets it into their hearts. This helps us when we're feeling overwhelmed. This will, this will help us to fight against pride on one level, and it will help us to fight against despair on another level. We are called to be faithful we're, we're to get the gospel into people's ears and we're to pray that God gets it into their hearts. We're called to faithfulness. Number two, we're called to prayer. This piggybacks right along with what we've just said. We're called to prayer, number two. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Of course it's overwhelming. Of course the mission of the church is beyond us. It's beyond our vision statements. It's beyond our five-year plans. It's beyond our best strategies. It is beyond us. Of course it is. But it's not beyond God. And so we pray. I encourage you, pray that more and more people will believe the Gospel and follow Jesus. Pray. I, I, I encourage you to, um, to check out the Joshua Project. You can, you can download their app to your phone or you can, you can subscribe to their email. They'll send you a new email every day um, of a new unreached people group. Uh, a people group that, has, that less than 2% of them um, believe the Gospel. Some of them don't even have the Scriptures in their language yet. They'll give you a good rundown of that people group and then you can, you can pray for them. I encourage you to set reminders, however you set reminders, to pray each day for the missionaries we support, the missionaries that you know of, the pastors that you know of. And pray that Gospel work gets done all over the world. I encourage you to pray that God will send young people from our church, from our community, 
all over the country, all over the world with the good news that Jesus is Savior and King. Of course the mission of the church is beyond our best efforts. Of course it is. Of course only God can get this done. That's why we pray. We're called to faithfulness and we're called to prayer. Number three, we're called to urgency. Go your way, verse 3 says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. At first I was like, sweet. I hate greeting people. This is awesome. This is, this is for the person who just wants to be a snob. It's not what it means. Jesus is talking about urgency here. And I love what he does here. Because he, if he says in verse 2, pray earnestly. And then the, the very next thing, go. So you pray that God will, you, you pray that God is going to use people to, um, to deliver his message, to, to get the word out, to make disciples. You, you pray that God will use people to make disciples and then you go be one of those people God uses. You pray that God uses people and then you go be one of those people God uses. And, and, and Jesus is calling us to urgency here. This idea of no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. This is just, we don't want to be, we want to be traveling light. You're not going to take a bunch of extra stuff with you on this particular trip. But then also, in our, in our modern world, the way we process this is to remember there's some urgency. We gotta, we have to get after this. That's the idea of greeting no one on the road. In the, in the first century, a greeting would have been a long, drawn out conversation. Jesus isn't encouraging His disciples to be rude. He's encouraging them to get going. Get a move on. Don't do all the, the, the big, long, drawn-out formalities. There's a, this, is a, this is a matter of life and death. Let's be urgent. We only have so much time to get the Gospel into people's ears. We don't have a ton of time. If you know someone in your life that needs to hear and believe the Gospel. If it's clear from the way that they live that they do not know the Jesus of the Bible, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. If you, if you, if you know someone like that, it's, I mean, it's time to talk now. We, we can't wait and we can't just say, I'm praying about that. It is vital that we pray about it. That's absolutely vital. But the next thing Jesus says is go. Maybe they're in your extended family. Maybe they're at your job or your school. Don't wait. And then maybe you're thinking like about your life. And you're thinking, you know what? I have, I have gifts and abilities that I want to use. I have resources I want to use to be a part of Gospel work. Maybe in a different country or in a very specific kind of ministry. If you're thinking along those lines, if you have that kind of desire, don't wait. Start working toward that right now. If you have a desire for a certain kind of ministry, come talk to me. Come talk to Colin. We'll see what we can do to help you get started. I don't know if you've noticed, but time goes really, really fast. I've now officially joined you old people. I'm old. I'm 40. This is not, we're not joking right now. <laughs> like, I don't know what happened. We're, we're getting ready to start school next Monday. I don't know what happened to summer. Summer might as well just be called blip. They just call it, we have 
We have winter, which that's long, winter. And then we may or may not have spring. And then we have blip. And then we're back into school, right? It's just, life is buzzing. You are getting old. It's, it's, it, and, and you, you have limited time. I have limited time. Let's not waste it. A lot of times I say, if you get the opportunity, then go for it. Let's look for the opportunity. Let's create the opportunity. Let's manufacture opportunities. Let's get after it. We're called to urgency. And then number four, we're called to contentment. Verses five through eight say, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. The, the, Jesus is talking about some people are going to be reconciled to God. Some people are going to know the peace of God. Some people are going to want the gospel. They're going to want to submit to the kingdom. Some people are going to want it. They're going to be reconciled to God. It's going to be good. Some people will not. And if so, and if so, then, then, then they won't know the peace of God. It will return to you. Verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Okay, so here's what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, he's saying, if you're, if you have the opportunity to minister in someone's house, don't look down the road and say, you know what, that house over there, they, they have better food, they have better accommodations. I'm gonna go minister where it's a little bit more comfortable, where I can eat the, the food I like. Um, Jesus is saying, let's not do that. Let's not live that way. Let's not make our, let's not make our disciple making choices based on our own comfort, our own, um, physical desires, our own, our own food preferences. It's very true. Right? That, that the laborer deserves his wages, he says in verse 7. So it's good that our needs are provided for. It's good that we take care of our families. That's a good, holy thing to do. But let's not, let's not look around for disciple-making opportunities that will be, uh, that will bring us the most, um, just, you know, the most comfort, the most physical comfort. Or even the most, like, social comfort. Let's be willing, um, let's be willing to suffer a little bit, or maybe a lot, for the sake of the gospel. If we are governed by our own desire for better food, or better accommodations, or better creature comforts, it's gonna be hard to be committed to disciple making the way we should be. Number five, we're called to clarity. So we're, we're called to faithfulness, prayer, urgency, contentment, and to clarity. Verse 9, he says to them, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So that whole idea of healing the sick, that has the idea of, of showing that Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. The kingdom of God has come. That Jesus is the real deal. So that's a very specific thing for that group of people. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come to you. But whenever you enter a town, verse 10, and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. 
Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. That's another way of saying the kingdom of God has come near and you have rejected it. You are going to be judged if you reject the kingdom of God. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged. And by wiping their feet off, we're saying we, we, are, um, we are not held accountable for this. We have done what we could do. We have, we have told you the Gospel. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town. And then Jesus addresses these other towns. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are, these are towns that have seen Jesus up close and personal, and, and they don't want Him. They've rejected Him. He says, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and these, the Tyre and Sidon are, are like, um, like poster boys. They're like poster cities for rejecting the Word of God. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Then he says to his disciples, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus is being as clear as He possibly can be. And He's calling His disciples to be as clear as they can possibly be. The kingdom of God has come. It has come in Jesus Christ. He is the only way we can be saved from our sins. He is the only way we can be reconciled to God. We can be forgiven by God for the sins that we have committed. He is the only way. And if you reject Jesus, you are rejecting God Himself. Jesus is the only way to God. We read that in verse 22. He's, no one knows the Father except through the Son. One of the things about living in, in northern day, no, present day northern Indiana is a lot of people talk about God. They, they talk about family values. They talk, about in, they talk in general ways about how God has helped them. and they, they, We talk a lot about God kind of stuff. You can talk about those things as much as you want. If, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't believe that He alone can forgive you, that you need what He alone did on the cross to save you from the judgment you deserve for your sins, if you don't know Jesus, then all the talk about God doesn't matter at all. We have to be clear about this. If our friends and neighbors don't believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be punished in hell forever because of their sins. There are towns here that saw up close and personal the, the miraculous things Jesus did and they still, did, they still wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And Jesus says, the, the judgment on you is going to be worse. It's going to be worse than even the, the, the judgment Entire and Sidon. Jesus says, you are completely responsible for your rejection. And you are going to be judged for it. We have to be clear with the Gospel. We cannot, we cannot just 
assume that because people talk about God, because they, you know, on Facebook they thank God for something, or they, they mention Him every once in a while, or, or something like that, or they say, yeah, but God really got me through it. We can't, we can't assume that just because people talk about God every once in a while, that they have any idea who Jesus is, that they have any idea what the Gospel is, and that, they, that they've ever personally believed it themselves. We have to press home on them the need for Jesus and for what He did on the cross to save them. We need clarity. We need to be clear. And then finally, number six, we're called to joy. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to prayer. We're called to urgency. We're called to contentment. We're called to clarity. And then number six, we're called to joy. And I recited all my points right there from memory because my my test is if I can't remember all of my points from memory, if I can't remember them, then I know my sermon's too long. So um, if I can remember, if I can quote them though, you're fine. Just listen, you're fine. All right, number six, we're called to joy. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're saying, we're killing it out there. And he says in verse 18, he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to see ministry success. You are going to see when you go out there and you do gospel work, you're going to see Satan take some losses. You're going to see him take some hits. Absolutely. Because Jesus says, I, I've seen his downfall. The, the best way I can think of to, to describe this is, is kind of like D-Day in, in World War II. And, and, and D-Day, the, the, the Allied forces came in and they came strong and the, and the tide of the war turned from that point. Like it was, the, the, the Germans were on the defensive and they were, they were scrambling. Now, just for the rest of the war, they still got a lot, I mean, they, they did a lot of damage before they finally gave up. But, but anybody, any, any objective observer looking from the outside say, yeah, this thing's over. It's over. This is what Jesus is saying to his guys here. He's saying, it's over. Satan is going to get his, he's going to get some, some hits in. He's going to do some damage. He's going to be scrambling. He's going to be violent for a while. But his days are numbered. And so they, so he says to the disciples, nothing shall hurt you. And of course, he's saying this to guys who are going to be like, you know, beheaded and crucified upside down and, and killed for their faith. And so, I mean, they, they're going to go through a little bit of pain. But what Jesus is saying here though is nothing is going to permanently hurt you. Nothing is going to ruin you. Nothing is going to send you to shame. You are going to be mine forever. You are going to be safe forever. Satan has lost. He's lost. It's over. He's still going to be trying to do as much damage as he can, but it's over. But then he says something very interesting in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice in this, 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice in your disciple-making success. Don't. That's not where you're going to find your main source of joy. Of course we're thankful. When, we, when, we, when God uses us to do, to, to do really, really cool things and we, and we see disciples made, we see people believe the Gospel and we see them grow in their faith, of course we rejoice. Of course we're thankful. Yes, absolutely. But Jesus is saying to us, that's not your main source of joy. That's not, that's not how you um, decide whether you're going to be happy or not. Because that kind of thinking leads to pride. It leads to self-righteousness. Or when things are going bad, it leads to despair. And, and you say, well, things won't go bad. They, they will go bad. I mean, Jesus Himself went to Capernaum and did mighty works there, and they're like, nah, we'll pass. Nah. If Jesus got nas, then we're going to too. I am um, I'm thankful when God when God uses me or uses a sermon I preached or uh, yeah when when God uses me to be a blessing in people's lives I'm thankful when um, God uses me to um, to help someone to understand and believe the gospel and follow Jesus um, but. That kind of stuff comes and goes. It just absolutely comes and goes. And there are... Paul talked about it with Timothy. He says there are, there are going to be good seasons. Seasons where you're seeing fruit. Seasons where you're seeing your hard work pay off in this earth. And then you're going to be, there's going to be seasons where everything is just dead. Where you are working just as hard and you're not seeing nothing. My wife is a big grammar person and she really wants me to fix that. She really wants me to say, you're not seeing anything. She wants me to get rid of that double negative. I'm not going to though. I'm just going to let it hang out there. Not seeing nothing. Because that's how we feel. We don't feel grammatically proper at the time. We feel angry. And we feel like it's time for a double negative. It's time for improper grammar. We're mad. Pastors do this. Parents do this. Grandparents do this. I mean, you are working and praying and working. And you're taking the opportunities to tell people what you know they need to hear. And you ain't seeing nothing. Jesus says, rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Because your name is written in heaven. You, when, when things are going great, you rejoice because your name is written in heaven. When things are going bad, you rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Right now, I have a, I have a, before the, before the throne of God above. We're gonna sing that song in a minute. I want you to think about it. Before the throne of God above. The holy, righteous, wrathful God. 
who I, I don't deserve to have any kind of positive relationship with. Before the holy, righteous God who knows me best and loves me most. I have a strong and perfect plea. I have a good name in heaven. I have a, I have, I've, I've ruined my reputation with some people. Some people, I'm never gonna get it back. When they think of me, they think of something bad, and that's just it. Uh, before, before the throne of God above, the, the, the one holy, perfect, righteous judge, who should, if we're being honest, should have tossed me in hell long ago, I have a good name. I have a perfect plea in heaven. I have a, I have a righteous status in heaven. Because I have a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus faithfully lives and pleads for me. This is why I rejoice. This is why I rejoice. I can't tell you anything of what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you anything of what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea. I have no idea. My, 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 I have lived a pretty charmed life when it comes to physical sickness, when it comes to relational turmoil. I've, I've, I grew up in a pretty good house. I married an above average wife. I have six children ranging all over the spectrum. None of it I deserve. God has been way more good to me in this, just, just in this earthly life, just in this everyday life than I could ever deserve. Things might, the, the wheels might fall off anytime now. Trouble may start hitting me hard. You people may wise up and vote me out. Anything could happen. Or, my wife and I could live another 50 years, never get arthritis, never have any problems. Our children could just be all-stars at everything they touch for the rest of their lives. One of them's got to strike it rich so they can be my retirement plan. None of them ever get cancer. Church grows to five, six, seven thousand. Or anything in between. There's, there's one constant in your life. If you belong to Jesus, there's one constant in your life. It is that right now, the only place that matters, you have a good name. Your name is written in heaven. And it's there because of, 100% because of the grace of God. It's because, it's because Jesus right now lives and pleads for you. Jesus has never given up on anything. He's never lost a battle he's fought. He has you. Rejoice. And go tell somebody. Let's pray together. God, I am convicted. I don't, I, don't, I don't work hard enough. I don't pray earnestly enough. I am not urgent enough. God, I am sorry. Um, 
I pray that You'd help me just to be less distracted. Help me to be more focused. Help me to be more urgent. Help me to be more faithful. I, I pray, God, that You would help me to use my time better. And, and I pray that You'd just help me to be good at it, too. Just help me to be a, a good communicator. Help me to be a, a, just help me to be clear. God, and, and help me to see the opportunities that are right in front of me to, to have good, clear conversations with people about who Jesus is and what it means to trust Him and follow Him. I have not done good enough, God. I have not been faithful enough. I pray that You would forgive me and I pray that You would help me. And I pray that no matter what, God, no matter what joy or sorrow comes in in the earthly ups and downs, whatever comes, whatever happens here in this world, I pray, God, that You would help those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, I pray that You would help us to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' strong and perfect, never-failing name we pray. Amen.